Hey folks, Celica here, creator and host of The Color Girl Beautiful. If you're tuning in for the first time, thanks for coming through. We're currently between seasons and we'll be back with brand new content later this fall. But not to worry, there's plenty of content for you to check out in the meantime. Obviously, the episode you're about to listen to right now is amazing, and we believe the entire back catalog is worth your time. But if you're looking for a place to start, I recommend episode one, which is an introduction to the show's genesis, or episode four, which just happens to be one of my favorites. After that, the sky's the limit. I hope you stick around, and I'm super excited for you to hear season two. Anywho, happy listening, and see you around. Let's say you make it to Michelle Obama level. Uh Do you think that you could sit in that kind of sit in that with that amount of power and not feel like I have to do something great for my people? Yeah, definitely. I I would definitely feel like I need to do something great for my people. Now. So here's the thing. It's not that I don't it's not fully that I disagree. It's the language that makes me uncomfortable. I feel even even just me as I am, you know, little old normal Aselica, <laughs> I feel I feel very compelled to help my people to do whatever I can to help move us forward. I feel especially compelled. And I could not see myself living any other way but in service of like figuring out what we can do for us just point blank there's there's no other way I would want to live there's no other place I would want to focus my efforts um but to be held responsible that feels like something different to me um, and again, when I when I hear Heather's tape, it sounds just so lovely and warm and ama- like she just makes me, you know, flip the whole thing upside down on my head. Being a black chef in this country, I, I feel like I have this secret inheritance. Like I feel like um, I have this rich history that everyone else doesn't have. And there's seldom opportunities for me to feel like my history is richer than someone else's. Food is one of the areas in which, at least for a long time, uh, we were allowed to master without being messed with too much. So Azalea, you probably figured this out already, but that was Heather. Who is Heather? Heather is a a dear friend of mine. First of all, she's an amazing chef. I talked with Heather about her feelings on what I would sum up in your writing as racial responsibility. In other words, our responsibility as Black people to uplift our race. I feel a certain reverence for the fact that I am doing the same work that the hands of mamas and grandmamas before me that are responsible for super random but it I learned this fact in school girls are born with all their um, eggs eggs inside of them sometimes I sit and I I don't sleep well but sometimes I sit and I consider how that means 
myself, my si- we were all inside of my mom when she was born. So that means when my grandma was pregnant with my mom, we were all in there. And so if you follow it back, like I just feel like such a physical connection to the women in my family. Um, and then they were the ones doing the cooking. You know what I mean? The way she describes it is so much like a part of who she is and it's so important to her. It feels magical. Mm. It's beautiful. I love I, I love listening to her talk about it. And yeah, I just feel like I'm not being made to cook for someone else. Um, it's something I chose for myself, something I'm good at and that has value. Um, Like, I don't even like to cook for real, but. <laughs> but I'll listen to her talk. But I'll listen to her talk about it all day. <laughs> hey there, Azalea. It's Asalika again. And this is The Colored Girl Beautiful, a heartfelt letter from one generation of Black women in search of purpose to another. When I first read about this idea of racial responsibility in The Colored Girl Beautiful, it did give me some pause. Um, Can you read me the quote from the book? Uh, I can read you the quote from the book as soon as I... Tell me a tale. Read me something. Right. <laughs> um, isn't that... Fr- I feel like there's a... There's a I have a reference for You know, when I first read this passage, it made me think a lot about how we as Black women are often expected to carry the emotional weight, the financial weight, um, all of these things were expected to hold this very specific place for the people in our lives. And Azalea, in your writing, it's not just the people around us. It's also the people who look like us. And while I, I do believe in, you know, being there for the people around me, this this is often an imbalance for us as Black women. This is often an area where we carry so much of the burden that it really becomes too heavy. It becomes, I think, impractical. Okay, so let's... Um, this is the quote from Madam Hackley. It says, The colored woman beautiful believes that everyone who gets up must pull up, or else she will be kept down by the weight of the racial burden. Each one's welfare is closely bound with that of the masses. The race as a whole must progress and prosper, or else no unit may prosper. The colored woman beautiful gives the best in her for race advancement. She works, thinks, and reads to be ready for the need of tomorrow and its problems. Wow. Which is a very, it's all very grand, mm-hmm. you know, and it's all very important. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that. I really do. But. (laughs) But I just, I can't, it doesn't fully sit well with me, this idea that the colored woman should give the best in her for everyone else. Well, not everyone, just the black people. (laughs) Just everybody black. Not every, just the blacks. (laughs) We're only talking about the blacks here. To be clear. To be clear. But still, I think that's to, you know, that's a lot of weight on her shoulders. That's that's very, 
you know, that's that's a lot of yourself to give away. I think that's the bottom line for me is that it's a lot of, for me personally, it's a lot of me to give away. And I was initially really coming from that place. And I, I think that's more so got to do with my own personal history and what I feel like I see um, in the, the the Black women around me, but it it just didn't quite sit well with me. But then to hear Heather talk about it, it's like this wonderful thing that, of course, I want to do. For a long time, I worked as a private chef and I would travel with people and do special events and stuff like that. Um, I just I could say, you know what, Susie Q, I can't make it this time. OK. And because they had the resources, they could find someone else to do what I was doing. Um so that was kind of on my mind. Heather, it seems like she has some type of an epiphany of sorts. Mm-hmm. How's this happen? I don't know who I was listening to speak, but they were talking about probably on one of my late night YouTube rabbit hole missions. But um, they were speaking about how different cultures, if the community needs a doctor, well, this little baby is going to be a doctor. If the community needs, the community kind of um, we might say is controlling but that's how they insulate themselves and protect themselves and stay well as a community um, I wouldn't say that I agree with that 100% but it resonated enough where I felt a slight pang of I didn't pursue anything that my people need I I could have I should have pursued something of more value um, to my community. Um, So that was something I sat with for a while. Yeah. I don't think I've ever had that sort of a thought. I I don't think any of it ever occurred to me before hearing Heather say those words. Pursuing something that my people need. Hmm. And then... I took a trip and I went to Brazil. I was in Bahia. So Heather took this trip to Brazil and it basically changed her life. Mm, Brazil will do that. Yeah, I, I, that's, it sounds wonderful. Have you ever been to Brazil? I've never been. I would love to go. I mean, this, hearing this story from Heather makes me want to go. Brazil was, um, a defining moment in my life, I feel like. I feel like I am still unpacking and surprising myself with things that Brazil taught me. Mm. Um, I didn't go thinking I had particularly any um, ancestral um, connection. I still don't know if I do, but I just felt so much energy, um, positive energy. Um, I was in Bahia. And so um, partially while there and since I've been back, I've done a lot of research and a lot of people say they feel a lot of energy um, in Bahia in particular. Um, The first thing that surprised me um, and delighted me walking down the street in Brazil, it looks like you're walking down the street in East Baltimore. Um, Brazilians, at least not where I was, they don't look like Miss Brazil. They look more like 
Miss Nigeria or you know what I mean? Like there, it's black people who look like me who walk up to you, assuming you speak Portuguese, and start talking. Um, I was the darkest I've ever been in my life being exposed to that South American sun. <laughs> when I tell you feeling myself, the selfie game was just popping. It was so serious. It was just awesome. It just, um, it was the first time ever in my life somebody called me African. And it, oh, such a, like just felt, I don't even know what the word is. Like it was just, um, I ordered food. I was sitting quietly and patiently waiting. The person, the food runner came out and didn't know where to take it. And the waiter was across the courtyard. And so he said, the African lady at this table. And I was like, oh. Yes, it was just That's me. Yeah, it was, was me. He's was, talking about me. I'm you. the African woman at the right. table. That is like a really nice thing going to a place that has a lot of African people. Yeah. Or you know, black people wherever they're from and you're like, "Whoa, look at us." Mm-hmm. Yes, everywhere <laughs> looking the same, but being yeah. so different. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, I felt that way when I came to Baltimore. Did you? Yeah, because I wasn't. I came from West Virginia, I went, and before I was there, I mean, before I was here, I lived in Ohio. Yeah, so my, you know, like to to be, I had not lived in a majority black city. So I got to Baltimore and I was like, what? <laughs> Look at all of, oh my God. <laughs> this was your Brazil? This was my Brazil. <laughs> Baltimore. <People probably> like, <laughs> whatever, I love Baltimore. So she had this experience where she just realized that the way that people exist in Brazil it's just from a completely different foundation. Everyone sort of assume that we'll all share what we have. But she talks about, you know, how uh, it's different when you go out to a restaurant and you're served a drink, for example. Um, it's expected that you share with everybody. Hmm. Everything is shared. Um, so much so that they don't ask, if I were to sit down with you at a bar and order a beer, they would come with two small glasses and split it between us without asking. If 10 of us sat down, we'd each get a 10th of that beer and a small glass. And or, or these women, they get up in the morning and they make food and they feed whoever's around. And that's just the culture there. The older women, the Bayanas, they would get up and make these big pots of mangao, which is this corn porridge. And just give it out, um, children, school children, homeless people, um, apparently single black Baltimorean women traveling for the first time to South America. Everybody was welcome to get have some porridge in the morning. And uh, it was just free. They just were there to give it out just to feed you. Um, and I just felt like, what am I doing? I'm, you know what I mean? Like, what is, and not even in like the judgy way, not being kind to myself, but the literal, what am I doing? Heather, what are you doing? What is the plan that we are working right now? Um, And so I just came home with renewed kind of vigor toward um, what was possible and 
had kind of a revelation of sorts that I didn't, I no longer wanted to cook exclusively for people who could afford to pay me. Um, I wanted to cook for people who needed me to cook for them. I want to teach people who have the desire to feed their family better, but just don't know how. Um, I want to point the finger at crap food that's bought into our community and make sure everybody knows. It's like, we see you. That Who are you feeding that to? Um, so that's kind of where I'm at now. So what are Heather's thoughts on on our racial responsibility? So Heather feels very responsible for her race. She feels like she has a very specific part to play. And so and and I the you know the way she talks about it is is wonderful. It's beautiful. And again, it makes me feel differently about the way that I feel. <laughs> Does it? Yeah, I you know, cuz to hear it just sounds very you know, I feel like everything that she describes is is actually what I want. You know, this um, very communal space. I, I believe deeply in community. I think that we are better um, individuals when we are in community with other people, when we have people to support us, when we are sharing with people, when we know how to get along with the people around us, when we um, are, you know like truly a part of one another's lives. Mm. I I believe in that deeply. And that sounds a lot like what she experienced there. Um, And I think that's a beautiful thing. I would love to see more of that. You know, we live in a very individualistic society. um, And I, I just think we would all benefit from being in community with one another more. Yeah, so, so, um, but she, she describes it, you know, as this really beautiful, wonderful thing um, that she is really invested in. And that's how I think of it. But I think a lot of times the way, probably because of my experiences, it feels um, a lot more like a weight. It feels... It feels very heavy. It feels um, like what I want and need are not being considered. Mm. Um, So for me, it's this really interesting sort of dichotomy where both things exist very much for me in this way. Yeah. So what I found really encouraging is that Heather also had some doubts. She also felt... Um, very intimidated by this idea of racial responsibility, granted for different reasons than I did, but there was still some hesitation there. My, my first phase of recognizing a responsibility to my people kind of terrified me. I know all of my flaws. I know all of my weaknesses. But when others outside of yourself can benefit from your success, and yet you see these things, um, or at least know these things that could stand in the way, um, that's heavy. It's one thing to say, I was not able to do this good thing for these people because these external things happen. It's something wholly different to feel like you were unable to accomplish something that someone or some 
people that you care about need it because um, you did something or you were not enough or you, you know what I mean? You made, yeah, you were the impediment. And, and so that's what terrified me was that I would be the, the thing in the way. And then Brazil helped me to see um, that it wasn't a burden that I was carrying. It was, yes, my duty, but also my privilege to be of service to my people. And so she, like, sees that, she experiences it, and thinks it's wonderful and wants to, you know, sort of bring that back to her. Uh, bring that back with her to the States. Mm. But just all that to say the whole trip, everything in Brazil, um, it helped me feel grounded and feel less, um, less afraid of this sense of responsibility that I have. You can be responsible and have a, a serious obligation and still find joy and beauty and be happy about it. Azalea, I think that was a perspective that I was missing, a perspective that I didn't see before or didn't acknowledge, you know, for whatever reason, history, biases, (laughs) past experiences, whatever. But I'm so glad that I had this conversation with Heather so that it could give me a little more context into what you were writing about. It's heartening to know that I can find beauty and privilege in something that I have to carry, something that I want to carry, or that I choose to carry. I definitely need those reminders because that's something that's really difficult for me. But I I think I needed that reality check. I have to remind myself of that more. However successful I am, However much I'm able to get, when you just get 10 glasses and split it, you know what I mean? It may, I, I may not be able to um, complete whatever task set before me um, 100% the way I would like to, but that does not mean that I can't do it well, and it does not mean that it will not be enough. Um, it can still be enough. The Colored Girl Beautiful was created and is hosted by me, Aselica Smith. This episode was produced and edited by Nicole Hill and Aselica Smith. Music is from Blue Dot Sessions. Azalea is the confetti animation on your smartwatch, celebrating each milestone you achieve towards your goal. We'll be back with a new episode on November 26th. Keep the feedback coming. We do not ever get tired of hearing from you. Mention us on Twitter, tag us in your IG post, and like us on Facebook. Oh, and don't forget to leave a five-star rating. You can do that at Podchaser for Android users and Apple Podcasts for iOS folks. Links to both in the show notes. Our favorite way for you to show support is to share the show with friends. Tweet out a link to your favorite episode or click the share icon in your podcast app and send this episode to a friend that you think might like it. Any way you can get the word out helps. 
Remember, you can always visit us at coloredgirlbeautiful.com. Our website is a one-stop shop for subscribing to our newsletter, following us on social media, and in a few weeks, we'll have merch available, including t-shirts. Keep your eyes open for that. The Colored Girl Beautiful is produced with support from PRX and the Google Podcast Creators Program. We'll see you in two weeks. Um, when I think about working in a kitchen, like how you're saying, like, it's magical. She's like, wakes up. I just picture like falling in love, like just chefs falling in love. Mm-hmm. I just feel like they make a lot of movies about yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> like it has to be like this beautiful romantic <laughs> Romantic, thing. yes. Like, like you're just, I don't know, chopping carrots together and, no and, all of a, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you know, you're like feeding them to one another and it's just beautiful. <laughs> You're feeding them. It's so I mean, unsanitary. No, that that has to be the order. So, like, it, there's a, at one moment, at one point, you're chopping the carrots, mm-hmm. and then something just overtakes you, and then all of a sudden, see, you're I feeding each a other. A lot of Hallmark. So I'm picturing this is my kitchen. I'm oh, the boss of this yeah. kitchen. Oh no, we have to work together because the client needs this thing that only the two of us can make. Oh, we're mad. We're mad, but we worked it out. You know what? You're not so bad after all. <laughs> Oh, let's go out. But, oh, I got the job in New York. I got to go. Will we be together? I choose you. (laughs) The end. Roll credits. Oh, my God. That's like the whole plot of, what was that movie with Ali Wong that was on Netflix? Oh, my God. That's That's so good. You're right. That is exactly what I just described. (laughs) What is it? Call Me. No, it's not Call Me Maybe. No, um, it's not Call Me Maybe. Always Be My Maybe. Always Be My Maybe. maybe. That's what it is. Oh, my God. First of all, (laughs) I am here for a cheesy romantic yes, comedy that fits all the bills. Yes. <laughs> Keep it going. Keep another it going. one. And another yes, one. <laughs> absolutely. I'm here for it. Elevate your summer with Osea's best-selling body care set. It's everything you need for radiant summer skin on the go. Featuring travel sizes of Osea's clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral skincare, like their best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Right now, you can get the Best Sellers Body Care Set, a $78 value, 33% off. And use code SUMMER to save an additional 10%. That's an additional 10% off at OCEAMalibu.com code SUMMER.